When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. And welcome to another edition of the eye test here on the Sick Podcast Network. I'm Jimmy Murphy. He's Pierre McGuire. And Pierre, soon we will welcome on John Liu, who you worked with many times over the years of TSN. He was based in Montreal for a while and is now back in his home native city of Winnipeg. Uh, looking forward to speaking to him. He'll be with us in a second. Um, and Pierre, just quickly, and we'll elaborate more after we speak to John, but a quick reaction to Yamo Kikalanian being fired by the Columbus Blue Jackets. Uh, he was in a tough spot, obviously, and I think it already started before the season, Jimmy. Um, the Mike Babcock situation was not very easy for him to digest or for ownership to digest or for John Davidson to digest. And then, obviously, the team kind of sputtered coming out of the gate, and that made it that much more difficult. One of the things I admire is when you watch their team play, and you and I have talked about it a lot, Pascal and son and Mark Recchi have done a nice job coaching that team. I mean, they've been dealing with a lot of injuries and some marginal goaltending most of the time, and they're always working. Like, the team is always working. So I don't think this is a coaching situation. It's more of a team-building, player procurement kind of a thing, especially at the professional level. Their amateur side, I think, has been really solid in Columbus. I think it's more on the pro side. But I think the thing that probably hurt Yarmo the most this year was the Mike Babcock situation and then the bad start. And I think that's probably why he's no longer employed by them. All right. We shall continue that discussion later, but let's talk some Winnipeg Jets and probably some Montreal Canadiens as well, because uh, he knows both teams very well. And that's John Liu of TSN joining us here on the iTest on the Sick Podcast Network. Hey, John. Murph, how you doing, Pierre? Yeah. Yeah. Great to really you guys. It's been a long, long time. Yeah, it's great to talk to you. Great to see you. You too. Yeah. I know you guys have uh, worked some events over the years, have you not? Oh lots yeah, of, lots of them. <laughs> World Junior Olympics, Stanley Cup playoffs, lots of them. Good stuff, good stuff. John, well, um, you know, let's we'll talk. I want to talk a little bit Winnipeg Jets right now, and then we're just going to get kind of into your journey as a as a journalist reporter with TSN as well, and maybe some memories with Pierre as well. But uh, overall, you know, just quick thoughts on where the Winnipeg Jets are uh, as the stretch run starts to really gear up here. Uh, I think right now they're in a little bit of a lull. Um, it's what I would describe as the ebb and flow of, uh, of, of uh, hockey season. Every good team goes through it, and the Jets are in the ebb at the moment. Um, they uh, Through de- November, December, uh, and into January, they're red hot until uh, mm-hmm. they had an eight-game winning streak. Then they kind of hit a rough patch. Uh, I think injuries started to catch up to them because they were some key players uh, – Gabriel Velarde out since the early part of the season. Uh, they never really got traction uh, with the centerpiece in the Pierre-Luc Dubois trade. 
then Kyle Connor uh, was out just as Velarde was coming back, and he was gone for about, if I remember correctly, about 15 games. Mm-hmm. And they weathered the storm with both those top six wingers. But then when Mark Shifley went down with uh, a suspected groin injury, he was only out for about half a dozen games. But it really sort of showed that, uh, you know, it's a player who has always been, well, I mean, for basically his entire career, the number one center of that team. But uh, he's been playing much better two-way hockey this season. Ever mm-hmm. since he signed his new uh, his contract extension, that will kick in next season. And um, it really kind of showed that uh, the Jets – they were they needed a little bit of a they needed shoring up in the depth department because there was no one center who was able to step into the breach and fill the void that uh, that that Shifley had vacated and uh, so his injury kind of coincided with this little stretch where they did go into a bit of a skid mm-hmm. uh went winless in five straight which was a season high for them were giving up more goals than they had because they were on this ridiculous um um streak where they were giving up three goals or less mm-hmm. um, and it was historic like yeah. it, it tied a modern era record and uh, they just went to prove how strong they were at five on five because certainly special teams hasn't done it for them this year especially power play which right now has gone like nine games without scoring and yep. uh, so they haven't been able to uh, find a magic bullet to correct that part of their game but five on five despite their struggles they are they've been strong all season long and that continues to be their bread and butter and so um if they can um if they can solidify their lineup a little bit i think they still need a little bit of help on defense with uh, a, a few weeks to go before the trade deadline i think that they'll strengthen their line, lineup that much further uh and if they can somehow get the power play working then they should be able to return to a decent contender status with the uh, with the other elite teams in the league. Speaking yeah. of defensemen, you've got two of the best defensemen that nobody talks about in the league. One of them is obviously Josh Morrison. The other guy is Neil Pionk. And I know he started out on Broadway, but, I mean, people don't talk about Neil enough, and they definitely don't talk about Josh enough. You're there, and I know how thorough you are when you cover people, John. Take us inside both of those guys' mindsets and why they're so valuable to the Winnipeg Jets. Well, I'll start with uh, uh, Josh Morrissey because uh, he's just got from the time they drafted him, he's just gotten better and better. Um, but where he really started, to, where he took a quantum leap in his development was at the start of last season or prior to when uh, when Rick Bonus took over the he- as head coach. And during the off season, he had a conversation with Morrissey where he said that, look, when when this is Bones speaking, when I was the head coach in Dallas, uh, we had your name circled on the board all the time. And I want you to be in the Norris conversation this coming season. And so basically he uh, enabled Morrissey to really up his game, to uh, reach heights that he hadn't up until that point. And um, so what we saw from Josh Morrissey's fresh out of the gates was just another level in his game. Like he's always been a really brilliant skater, but uh, I mean, for me personally, I hardly ever got to watch Morrissey when I was out in the Eastern Conference. Um, yep. I didn't get to watch Morrissey play very much, but watching him every night, it was just mind blowing how good he is on his on his skates. Like his edge work is fantastic. He's really quick, dynamic, uh, lateral movement. Uh, he's not a blazer, but having said that, he is. His skating is just world class, and mm-hmm. his puck handling, his vision, um, mm-hmm. he's just. 
an absolute joy to watch. And I've seen him over the past season, like coming into this season, becoming a little bit more physical. He's not a big guy. He was only about, say, I mean, 5'10", probably. I'm not sure what he's listed at weight-wise, uh, probably pushing 200. But he's not uh, hes not a, a physical defenseman in the traditional sense. But he angles guys off well, boxes out. Because of his skating ability, he's able to get in lanes to be able to kill plays. Uh, it reminds me a lot, and I... I don't want to put him in the same category, but just the type of play like like Nicholas Lidstrom, you know, that his positioning and skating, his hockey IQ are so superior that what he lacks in size, he's able to make up for in um, it, it, just in, in hockey IQ and uh, just the, the total package that he is otherwise. And his offense just has gone to another level as well. He has a sneaky good shot, sneaky hard shot, uh, and a fantastic passer, good playmaker. So he's really the, the, the complete package. And the fact that he was just outside the Norris finalists last season, that was really an endorsement for the campaign he had. And I think if the Jets hadn't hit this recent skid, we'll see how they finish the season. But Morrissey was, he hit a career high in points last season. And I think that this year he could be a point per game blue liner for the first time in his career. Uh, if he starts to up his production, once again, if the Jets hit their stride, because he's a big part of their offensive attack. Um, a lot of his points come on the power play, but again, getting back to their man advantage, they're not producing there right now. So that part of Morrissey's production hasn't, uh, that slipped a little bit as well. Uh, but from Neil Pionk's standpoint, uh, his teammates joke about this, and I can't help but think this too. If Neil Pionk was about two or three inches taller, he'd be considered uh, a real stud defenseman simply because he is a real tough customer for a guy that isn't that big but doesn't back down, like really gritty, has a real nasty streak to him as well. Not dirty, um, although there are some teams fans that might disagree with that, like certain incidents over the uh, recent, over recent years. We won't name names or, you know, stir that pot, but, uh, <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> uh, but Pionk, he's uh, good offensive skills, uh, good shots, uh, plays second power play units, good defender as well. Um, last season he had, Injury problems, which he never admitted. To. Well, he kind of obliquely admitted to when I asked him late in the season, but he never divulged what exactly was bothering him. But longtime Jets reporters who have covered him since he was uh, since he came over in the Jacob Truba trade could tell that that, that wasn't the same Neil Pionk, and uh, so he was playing with something that was that he probably should have sat some games, you know, just for the for his own good and for the team's good. Uh, but uh, having said that, he's come back strong this season and uh, be interesting to see what happens with him because as a right shot defenseman who can play, uh, well, he doesn't kill penalties for this team, but he does play power play, but logs strong five on five minutes. Uh, if the Jets don't choose to, uh, to extend him, I think he'd be in demand around the league simply because he could fill a very uh, important role with with most teams who are looking for a guy who could be a second pairing defenseman. Yeah, there's a team just down the road in Minnesota that would be looking for a kid from Herman. Well, Tom, yeah, Minnesota. yeah, I'm sure for him to go home too, he would love that I too. Brought his name up. <laughs> yeah, Minnesota Duluth, right? Yeah, yeah. Born born in Omaha, Nebraska, though. Pierre, did he did he grow up in Minnesota though? After that, or did he... I don't know about the whole time, but he went to high school there. Yeah. Okay. Gotcha. Yeah. Yeah. But he considers he he very much considers himself a Minnesotan, though. He's like very connected. Like, the Jets they they go to that well often. <laughs> <laughs> quite a bit of success. So. Border close. 
Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, hey, they know what the weather's like here too. So exactly. that's, that's smart uh, asset acquisition and uh, management because, <laughs> hey, you know what? I, I grew up here. I can say it. Winnipeg is not exactly going to be a, it's not a vacation wonderland. And, and I know it's on the lists of pretty much every guy that has a no trade or no movement clause. Uh, but guys who love the wilderness that don't that, that want to be in a hockey market, but don't want to be inundated with the attention or the scrutiny. Uh, this is a good spot for them. I mean, Dustin Bufflin loved it here. Like yeah, the fishing, you know. Left Los Angeles, he loves it there. Yeah. Oh, yeah. He's a super outdoorsman. Yeah. Just loves it. Yeah. Yeah. Connor Hellebuck, the fishing here, he's he loves it here as well. You know, I mean, guys that love the wilderness and the outdoors, and uh, you know that don't want to have to drive an hour to get to the practice facility. Uh, you know, they, uh, they can find their niche here and be quite happy. Let me ask you, uh, John, you know, going back to the beginning of the season, the off season there, all we heard for so long, dating back even to last trade deadline um, in 2023 was that, you know, Connor Hellebuck and Mark Shifley were done there. And, uh, you know, it was only a matter of time before both would either be shipped out or they wouldn't be there any longer. And then all of a sudden, they both sign identical contracts long-term, and now they're pretty much there probably for the rest of their careers. What what happened, like, behind the scenes to all of a sudden, you know, just basically from the outside, looked like a 180? Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, there were some um, – there were trade discussions or, you know, testing the waters, as it were, from both sides, like from Winnipeg, from Kevin Shovel Day off standpoint, searching, mm -hmm. other teams inquiring. Mm -hmm. uh, there wasn't anything that was serious or that would have uh, that went far enough uh, that could have amounted into a significant trade or mm -hmm. trades. Uh, and the thing too, is that if you go back two off seasons, when the jets were um, when they, when they, uh, they missed the playoffs and Mark Shifley made those, those comments uh, yeah. musing out loud about his future. I think ever since that point, uh, a lot of people in this market, whether fans or media, never quite let go of the notion that at the conclusion of his current deal, maybe Mark Shifley wouldn't have Winnipeg in his cards. Because the thing is that he's been in a bargain contract yeah. for the last half a dozen years. You know, mm -hmm. like for his production and what he's been able to uh, – or plays first power play, logs the most five-on-five five minutes amongst forwards – and was producing a pretty much a point per game play, pace for the better part of his deal. Uh, well documented that you know the defense hasn't been the strongest suit, uh, his strongest suit. But the thing is that if he had been a complete or for his entire career, if he had been a complete two way centerman, there's no way there would be any entertaining of trade conversations whatsoever, mm -hmm. right? And uh, so there were there were a lot of I guess threads that led to speculation and, and, and honest inquiries that, uh, that, that led to the belief that maybe last season was Shifley's final one in, uh, in Winnipeg. Mm -hmm. From Connor Hellebuck's standpoint at the locker cleanout press conference back in, oh, we're in 2024 now, last year, <laughs> after, after Vegas, uh, after Vegas dispatched uh, the Jets, um, uh, Connor Hellebuck made comments about, you know, wanting to be part of a winner that he wanted to chase a cup yeah, and that he would be open to wherever that may be. And so immediately red, red flags started waving in this market that, Oh, does that mean that he wants out of Winnipeg that he doesn't see the jets as a contender? And so that 
led to a summer, the whole summer, where there was a lot of speculation about what the future would entail for these two guys that were heading into their contract years this year. Mm -hmm. And so give Kevin Shevel day off credit for this as well. That's uh, nobody, absolutely nobody saw this coming when it was on the eve of the season uh, that both players got signed as a package deal because they Mm -hmm. talked together about this. You know, mm-hmm. about signing, about extending, about becoming Jets for life, as you said, Murph. Yeah. And I think a big part of what sold them was that Kevin Dayoff had he sat down and spoke to both players and laid out his vision and his plan. Mm-hmm. And I can't speak for every GM in the league, but it sounded to me as if players aren't always privy to that type of information or mm-hmm. those conversations. And so the fact that Chevy... Uh, sat down his two cornerstone players in situations where it's like, well, do you want to be a part of this or are you going to look for greener pastures? Um, and so that was a big part of what sold them on staying here is that whatever Chevy told them, and we're not privy to those, those conversations, right. those discussions, um, what his plan, what his vision is uh, moving forward. And I think it, a lot of that has to do with, who the Jets have in the hopper, you know, some of their mm-hmm. prospects that they have some pretty high caliber prospects that are getting close to being ready. And, um, you know, just the roles that Shifley and Hellebuck would play and uh, the commitment that they would have to uh, retaining certain veteran players and what type of players they would go after to try to um, make a Stanley cup champion in this market. Uh, that's all the two on them on on the uh, on the notion of being just for life and so yes they came as a package deal and so that was significant simply because again you talk about their uncertain futures well people were thinking that connect the dots a b to c that if they don't sign them well does that mean that the jets are going to be heading into a rebuild because without one or both of those players where are they you know yeah. because yeah. this was at the point too where already uh they earlier in the summer with all the uncertainty with Pierre-Luc Dubois. Well, the only certainty was that he was going to be gone. Mm-hmm. Right. But, uh, and again, that, that was another part of the thread that helped sell Shifley and Hellebuck on signing is, you know, just how well Shovel Dayoff did in that trade with LA. So, wow. yeah, so there were a lot of factors that went to the story for the long winded answer, but oh, it was good. no short or easy uh, <laughs> about those two players. Yeah. How did it go so bad for Pierre-Luc Dubois there? It went bad in a hurry, and it's gone bad in L.A., John, and you're behind the scenes. You know, probably more than most of us, what the heck happened. Uh, well, I only covered Pierre-Luc Dubois for the one season, last season, his final one in Winnipeg, Pierre. And what had happened was that uh, near the end of the calendar year of 2022, he had a hip problem that started flaring up because he started the season strong, Fresh out of the gate. And again, I talked about watching Josh Morrissey every game. Well, when I got to see Pierre-Luc Dubois every game, a healthy Pierre-Luc Dubois, I was blown away. You know, because I would only ever see him. Yesterday. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Like when he is on, he is just dominating. Like mm-hmm. big and strong and physical, draws penalties. You can't get the puck off of him. You know, you put it along the wall there. He's going to just control play down low and find his 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 wingers. Uh, and when he was on. He was an absolute beast for the Jets. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then he had this hip problem that started flaring up near the end of the calendar year. And his his game started to slip. His production started to slip. Uh, he wasn't as assertive. And 
the thing is, is that if he didn't have, uh, if there wasn't his history about how he left Columbus, I think more fans would have given him the benefit of the doubt, right? That, mm-hmm. okay, this is a player that clearly, physically, something's not quite right. But when Pierre-Luc Dubois is not on because of what we, because of his track record, I think people sort of automatically jump to the conclusion that this is more of an, that there's an effort issue mm-hmm. afoot, right? And so I can't speak to that specifically. Just know that he was playing hurt. And I mean, especially a guy that plays a power game like that with a core issue, mm-hmm. that's, he's going to be rendered ineffective, right? Yeah. And so the second half of the season, he kind of struggled along with the entire team as they went through that period of about a month and a half where they almost uh, flushed their playoff spot down the toilet. Um, and then once they got into the playoffs, same thing. You know, in the latter stages of that, that uh, Vegas uh, series, he started to disappear. And so one of my questions to him on locker cleanout uh, was, it's like, what uh, what was your what was your health status through the playoff uh, through the playoff series? And he said that that issue that had been bothering him in late 2022 had flared up again. And I know that's I mean in hockey culture, well in sport culture in general, is that uh, if you're the mentality is that if you're injured, you're not playing. If you're hurt, you're playing and you're 100 percent. There are no degrees of how hurt you are if you're playing yeah. your 100%. Right. That's the mentality, right? But to me, it's like, because I come from a medical family, my rationale is that if you're hurt or injured, that's the reality. It's not an excuse, but there's a reality that your mind might be wanting to do all the things that you believe you should be able to. But if your body can't respond, that's not. That's just the reality. Yeah. It's not an excuse. That's just the reality, right? Yeah. And so, yeah. but again, people, because... Pierre-Luc Dubois didn't have the benefit of the doubt. People believed that that was an effort issue, right? And so he, everybody knew he was gone. Like that last day from the podium, uh, that was the last time we knew that he was going to be addressing the public and the media as a Winnipeg Jet because two months later, Chumbea pulled up the big trade, right? And so it's really, Pierre, it's really unfortunate that's, um, uh, the things ended that way because uh, Dubois' dad is part of the uh, Manitoba Moose organization, has been for quite a few years. And so there was that nice family connection here. And, uh, you know, we thought that uh, being in a hockey market uh, where he had responsibilities and profile and stature, that that might have been enough for him to convince him to, to re-up mm-hmm. with Winnipeg because, you know, with Shifley and Dubois, healthy and producing in the one and two C spots. That's a very good looking middle. But uh, then we get into this season and it's like not close enough to the LA situation to know, but there are a lot of real, you know, a lot of conjecture, speculation, whatever. And already, you know, Todd McClellan, a good man lost his job uh, as a result of those teams struggles, not the least of which includes uh, their new three C right. Yep. Yeah, it's t- I mean, it's tough. It's tough. Pierre and I were talking about yesterday. You wonder, I mean, is is there something about the passion? We don't know. We're not in his head. We're just trying to figure it out. And it just looks like a guy who's not in it right now. Not, I, and, and I like what you say, that it's not necessarily doesn't care, but it's just maybe so many things have distracted him that he's he's just not all there mentally right now to be playing the game of hockey that he need and where he needs to be. So, you know, I hope for his sake and the King's sake, he picks it up there. But man, 
Shevel day off another, you know, you talk about the job he did bringing in Hellebeck and uh, Shifley. I thought that trade, I mean, he, he really did well in that trade. And I, I think I want to ask you too, John, I mean, he, he's taken some heat there in Winnipeg did that the return he got in that trade in what looks like kind of a, a pickle, so to speak, that he was in. He's like, he knows he has to get rid of the guy, right? Yeah. The other team knows he has to get rid of the guy. So, you know, sometimes they can hold him to the coals. It looks like he did pretty damn well. Yeah. Well, Kevin Shoveldayoff has a history of doing that. Yeah. That when his back's against the wall or somebody's holding a gun to his head, he comes, he he does his best work. Like, I yeah. mean, whether it was Evander Kane or Jacob Truba, uh, uh, most recently Pierre-Luc Dubois, uh, I'm missing one or two because he keeps hitting home runs or at least managing to salvage situations where you think that he's positioning or he's bargaining from a position of weakness but then he manages to come out smelling like a rose. Yeah. And I think this one was his magnum opus, to be honest with you. Oh, yeah. Simply because <laughs> not just the Great word. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> but I mean, uh, and again, like all three of the players acquired in the Dubois trade, they are in a little bit of a lull right now. Gabriel yeah. Velarde, um, he was strong when he came back from his injury, but he, along with the rest of his teammates, he's having trouble producing as well. Alex Iafalo scored the other night, um, and so he broke a, a he snapped a, a, a slump. But the thing about Iafalo though is that he is such a a Swiss Army knife, yeah, a honey badger that he just plays up and down the lineup. Zero maintenance. The coaches love him. He plays one way all the time. Plays in all situations. Low cap hits. Good teammates. You know, he's just when when Kevin Sheveldayoff made that trade. Iafalo was the guy that I was most curious to see because when I watched the LA versus Edmonton series in the previous playoffs, mm-hmm. I never watched Iafalo play before that closely. And he just kept my eye was just drawn to him. Yeah. You know, he oh, I kept noticing him because the guy just didn't stop. He worked he, so hard. Oh, absolutely. Never quit. So I mean, that's a t- I, I when I when with that memory fresh in mind when they made the trade of the, hmm, well, if the Jets make the playoffs, wonder, you know, chances are that's the type of player you're going to see. That's one of those guys that's built for the postseason, right? So I think that he'll have a pretty important role come the latter half of April and moving forward. Um, And uh, Velarde, young player, growing this season, a, a setback with that knee injury, right? So I think a lot of not development time, uh, but but just adjustment time with the Jets. It's 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 been lost simply because of the length of that injury and the nature of it. Because they know that they wanted right from the gate to see what Connor Shifley Velarde would look like, mm-hmm. and they've only had like a half a dozen games together. And because the team is slumping, uh, Rick Bonus put uh, Nikolai Ehlers with Connor and Shifley over the last few, the last three games, uh, because Ehlers is, he's their, their top play drivers amongst their forward core. And uh, so, uh, but you know what, Velarde, he's, he's going to be, a, he's going to be a very good player for the Jets simply because, you know, again, watching him when he was healthy and at his best, yeah. you know, his size, his reach, his ability to make really good reads, uh, especially play down low on the power play. He's either in the bumper position or primarily at the net front. So big, strong guy with reach. Um, I'm just really curious to see if, if there's a, 
an opportunity or when the opportunity or the place for him to, to play center on this team might arise because it's been very, he, he's been in the, in the center position very sparingly this year. Mm-hmm. And uh, so maybe we'll see it next year, but, uh, but again, right. Really, uh, really good acquisition there. Jimmy, what's the name of this show? The eye test. <laughs> in order to appreciate Alex, I follow. He has, yeah, they have the eye test. The yep. numbers do it. He can affect the outcome of a game without scoring. Mm-hmm. And so those guys never show up analytically. And, and so I give Winnipeg's pro scouts a lot of credit because he's a player, as John correctly said before, you have to really watch him to appreciate what he can do. And yeah. so you, you can look at all your computers and your forms and all the other numbers. He doesn't compute on that. So that, that that's a really good job of pro scouting. And, I, John, that was a great story that you told about him. I really appreciate that. Jimmy, you know, one thing I really like about what John did in Montreal, he was able to do so many different sports, you know. And, and one of the big things in Montreal, they never get enough credit. I know he's in blue bobber country now. He got to cover the Montreal Alouettes when they were really good. John, yeah. they were really good. And yeah. they have a player there by the name of Anthony Calvillo, who I don't think – ever got enough credit for how good the Alouettes were. John, what was it like to cover those teams in Montreal, those great Alouette teams? Well, that was a treat, Pierre, uh, silly because uh, Mark Tressman uh, bringing yeah. – uh, By the way, bringing, back up today, right? Or yesterday's back in the NFL. Yeah, yeah, with Chargers, right? Yeah. 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 Oh, I was happy to see that. Um, but, um, but Mark is just – he's like the mad scientist, you know, just uh, <laughs> absolute brilliant – uh, offensive mind, but um, type of guy who is all about uh, uh, building team is one thing, but building men, you know, building good people. That was what he was all about. Uh, and uh, just little details. Like when he would run practices, he would run practices that the pace was very similar to game speed. And it was to the second, you know, stop, watch out that all the drills in the various positions, like the defense, offense, then special teams, uh, uh, the uh, linemen, uh, quarterbacks, running backs, receivers, everything was on a stopwatch. They'd blow whistles as soon as they would switch, and it was very militaristic. Um, not in a negative sense, just very disciplined, very committed. Um, when they would stand uh, as a team for the national anthem on the sidelines uh, in Molson Stadium, uh, beside me or in front of me, depending where I was standing, it was, everybody stood the same way. You know, they would stand at attention with their hands in the same spots. Uh, they would not move. They wouldn't fidget. It was, I've never seen anything quite like that. Wow. And that was really a reflection of the yeah. type of ship that Mark Tressman ran. Mm-hmm. Now, he was a taskmaster, like very, very hard to play for. Very uh, super high demands. But the thing is, you can't argue with the results, in addition to the fact that he cared very much for his players, cared very much about them as people. And so uh, just a really unique coaching dynamic. Uh, And he was real Papa Bear, too. Um, I remember doing a sit down interview with him one time and I was and I was questioning uh, asking questions based on something that he had said earlier in the week. And uh, he when we finished the interview out in the hallway, he tore an absolute strip off of me uh, because he didn't like my line of questioning. He thought that I was trying to hang his receivers coach. And I was like, no, I'm not trying to do this. And uh, 
So like he just unloaded on me and started to walk away. And I said, whoa, 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 hang on a sec. You know, like, you know, you can't just, you know, crap on me and then just walk away. And so yeah. we had a, an honest conversation about where was I coming from, you know, and came to a, a, a respectful agreement. Oh, and, good. Um, but yeah, I mean, he was, he was a real, um, he was, a he was, real old school in certain ways, but very new age in others. Mm-hmm. And you saw the results in, in, uh, or you saw the results reflected in his methods in the way that team was just so methodical, executed at such a high level, offensively, defensively on special teams. And even though they lost that great cup in 2008 in Montreal, mm-hmm. uh, the following two years, I mean, certainly 2009 with the, the, uh, the extra man and uh, the, the riders extra man, uh, that was it wasn't a it wasn't a Picasso or a masterpiece by any means, but they still got it done. And then yep. the following year, you know, they did a better job of winning the Great Cup back to back. And so there's yeah, some good parties. Were- Jimmy, I can just tell you this, there's some really good parties at my house in, in Montreal when they were going through these great <laughs> cup things. Good stuff. Was I was fun. up there for the one they lost. Yeah, a lot of fun. Yeah. Good stuff. Uh, let's stay on the coaching note then. What's your take on Rick Bonus so far working with him? Uh, you know, I, I known him as a fan when he coached the Bruins many moons ago, his first gig as a head coach. Um, but it, it's it, from afar, it's great to see that he's still going uh, and that he's reinvented himself from afar. That's what it seems like. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, deal uh, working with, uh, with Rick has been, uh, it's been a real treat simply because uh, again, you mentioned in Murph, that's uh, you know, that's a guy that's uh, in the 70 range and so his experience in the game as a coach and as a player is that I learned something new from him pretty much every time he talks or when I chat with them. And uh, uh, <laughs> the fun part is that, you know, there's no way that we in the media are ever going to trick him or, 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 or get him to admit something or whatever, just because he's, he's seen it all. He's done it all. Yep. There's just no way we're ever going to get the upper hand on him. But having said that, he has this real um, uh, fatherly vibe and energy yeah. about him, you know, that he's yep. just very folksy and genuine. And uh, he, he's that way with us in the media. But he, the the stories that we hear from the players is that's what he's like. Same thing. I was talking about Mark Tressman that carries very much about his players. Well, Rick is, is like that, too, you know, that he has conversations with his players all the time, you know. Uh, guys on the team say that, you know, he asks about my my wife or my kids or my dog or my family or my hobbies and things like that. That's uh, that it's not always all about the game, about right. hockey, that uh, that he is, you know, sort of like a dad, like an uncle. And uh, so uh, he's um, uh, and, and well, just with his 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 content or his 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 uh, uh, longevity in the game, you know, the respect that he garners from the players and uh, uh, just his way about uh, of getting the best out of his players. Uh, they, there's been much better buy-in this year. Let's put it this way. Mm-hmm. You know, he was, he was, I think he was banging his head against a brick wall at certain times last year. And it came yeah. out publicly, right. Yep. That he was fighting tendencies within the group that were hangovers from the previous season and the season before that, and that mm-hmm. ingrained bad habits that were part of the culture on the uh, on the jets and uh, but you don't see that this season you know yeah. with the change uh with adam lowry as the captain and i don't they could not have appointed a better guy as captain i agree uh, and, uh, Pierre, love, yes. you love him Pierre, yeah 
Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I've known that kid a long time, and I'm a big fan. He's a real good player, but he's a really good leader. Yeah, yeah. and just a tremendous person too, Pierre. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Totally you know yeah. Totally. And- you know, it's cool. Sorry, John, I didn't want to interrupt you because we're up against the clock here, but I want to ask you a couple. Rick, Rick Bonus, Jimmy, five decades coaching. He's been coaching in the NHL for five decades. That, that's pretty oh, amazing good. being around the NHL. But here's the thing. I don't even know if Johnny knows this. He played for the Montreal Junior Canadiens. His roommate was Mario Tremblay. Wow. <laughs> I'm not kidding you. Okay? I'm just telling you. And, and I think Rick kind of helped Mario because Mario was the first 18-year-old player to ever play for the Montreal Canadiens. Uh-huh. I'm just like back then it was a 20 year old draft. He was 18 years old. And I think Rick bonus helped influence Mario trauma. And he was a very important player uh, for the Montreal Kings when they were winning cups. And I think that kind of set Rick up to be a coach. I really do. Yeah. yeah. I just like guys that, you know, he, like you referenced there, John, he called them out in that, you know, party and press conference before the summer. And it, it must feel good to him that so many came back this year with a new approach with determination to answer that bell for him. I and mean, that had to feel great for him. Like when he got back, cause there were like, we were just discussing earlier. There was so many questions about the lineup. There were so many things that were going on so much turmoil, you know, we didn't even get into Blake Wheeler, right. but just so many things that were going on. So for him to come back and then for them to have the, the stretches that they've had this season, with the buy-in, you mentioned that, you know, going with the five-on-five play. That, that's a that's a great, great story for a coach to come in there and let it, let it, I don't know how to put it, like, let it simmer within his players' minds over the offseason, and then they come back and they react that way. That's coaching. That's coaching. Well, well Murph, they, they had one-on-one meetings, you know, uh-huh. like to clear the air after Rick's very pointed comments after mm-hmm. the Jets were eliminated by the Knights. Yep. And then two days later, the locker clean out uh, the the, exit uh, the insurrection, if you want to call it that. Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, that's that players that did come back, they all had individual meetings um, with uh, with Rick to make sure that it's like, hey, you know, are we good? You know, is mm-hmm. if there's anything else that needs to be said, we're going to say it now. And yeah. they did that individually. And so they came back to training camp this year and, you know, fresh slate, clean slate. Yeah. And you see it, but you do not, if there were issues that had lingered, you would not see the level of commitment from all the players, especially at five on five, the way that they did, you know, the way they protect the house, the way that they kill scoring chances, eliminate high danger chances for almost the entire season. They're the top top ranked defensive club. They give them the fewest five on five goals in the league, right? Mm -hmm. If, if Rick had not been able to get everybody back on the same page, you wouldn't have seen that level of performance from this club so consistently. He's a great story. He really is. Yeah. And John, quickly before we let you go, I, I know you love it being back there, but how much do you miss Montreal? <laughs> <laughs> I, I missed, you know what? Jimmy. I was thinking about the other night, Jim. Yeah, I, I was thinking about the other night. Um, uh, well, last night. Um, that's uh, – because I'm still keeping track of what's happening in the Canadians, especially uh, with Uri Slavkovsky. Yeah, and um, so when I catch a game there and I hear the goal horn and I hear the roars from the crowd, um, I, uh, and you know, this is not a critique of the jets. This is certain realities economically of the market right now. Um, that's, they haven't had a lot of sellouts this season. 
Yeah. Uh, and so, you know, I was thinking about a full bell center the other night and thinking about, it's like, that is a special place. It really you know, is. The building, the yeah. crowd, the city, you know, yeah. the market, it really yeah. is. You know, um, so yeah, there, there, there are certain things about Montreal. We can get into a longer discussion about that another time, but that's, that's what come to mind and came to mind immediately is just that, yeah, there, there is something special about, doesn't matter what night of the week, um, mm -hmm. but a full bell center with the crowd and full voice. Jimmy, you know, what's pretty cool about John's career. Think about it. He had a chance to be there for Mr. Belleville's funeral, had a chance to be there for Sakukoyu's return. Like these are all moments that I remember being around John at that time. Like these are monumental moments. You know, the team finally getting to a Stanley Cup final, even though it was a COVID Stanley Cup final. John was there for that. There's a lot of stuff that went on um, that John had, you know, the opportunity to see in Montreal that most people can only dream about. And John, I have to thank your time in Montreal. Those were halcyon days in your career. <laughs> uh, eventful here. <laughs> uh, I say Halcyon because there was rarely a dull moment when I think about <laughs> the peaks and valleys and the drama. So not much Halcyon, Halcyon time. But it was, it, it was for sure. But Jimmy, we'll have to get John to talk about this. The drama, we'll talk about what happened with PK Subban. We won't do it on this show. Yeah. But we'll talk about what went on. We'll get you back, but the PK Subban stuff, because I think that would be interesting for the fans to be aware yeah. of. And, and, and also too. So before we let you go, John, too, I want to just tell the listeners out there too. So I spent some time up there as some of you know, and I, and I lived there for a bit too. And I'm telling you, John and guys like Brian Wilds, Frankie Gagnon. I mean, you guys took me in and this is some little Irish guy from Boston. And uh, I don't know how it was going to go, but I appreciate all the support you gave me up there, John. Thank you very much. Oh, well, Hey Murph, you're a great guy. We enjoyed hanging out with you and going for pints and talking yep. hockey. So, yeah, yeah, no, no, hey, it's good times. It, you're an easy guy to love. <laughs> I don't know if my parents would say that, but <laughs> <laughs> anyhow, great stuff, John. We appreciate you oh, taking it. My pleasure, guys. Yeah, yeah and great seeing you, Pierre. Great seeing you, Murph. Anytime. Hope we can have a reunion in Montreal sometime. I would love okay. that. That'd be awesome. All right, sounds good. That's John and here on the eye test on the Sick Podcast Network, and uh, he's a great guy, class act. Oh, unbelievably smart. Really, really smart. Oh, yeah. Well spoken. As, as, as smart as he is, he's a better person. Mm -hmm. uh, you won't hear one cameraman or one audio guy ever say, and a lot of those guys, they're on time. For, you know, they got to get stuff done on time. And so it's a pretty stressful type work environment. Never once I see John panic. Never once. And I mean, Olympics, World Junior, Stanley Cup playoff, lots of pressurized, the Koivu thing. Mr. Bellavo's funeral, like I can go down the line, all the different things, and never once did I see him panic. And I think that's a sign of a pro. And you he's know, stylish they, too. Very well, different style. I don't think yeah, I can. Style. Unique style. I love it. <laughs> I'm a trendsetter. <laughs> yeah, okay. I'll go with that. Put, put him and PK together on the same show. That would be interesting. That, that would work, actually. That would work. Yeah, we should do yeah, that sometime. That would work. Yeah. Hey, let's go over it. We got a lot of comments lining up, a lot of questions there. And uh, there we go. Evan says, get PK on. Uh, that would be fun. That yeah, would be at, some fun. Point, at some point we will. I mean, he's kind of busy right now. And, um, you know, I, the one thing, having done it for as many years, I think it's 25 or 26 at the national level, 
people don't realize you don't have that much time. So all those guys that are doing that job, I have a ton of respect for them, and, and I kind of know um, when you can call them and when you can't. And right now, just before the trade deadline's a tough time. It's a real tough time for all those guys that are involved with that. For sure. For sure. All right, let's go to our questions here, and let's start it off. We got another uh, video, and I know you've been looking forward to getting into this one. Another video question, or rather uh, a memory uh, from Evan McLaren, uh, for Pierre that he wants Pierre to elaborate on. So let's go to that right now. You know, it's kind of an insane opportunity and a privilege that ordinary dummies like me just get to ask questions. And someone like Pierre with decades of firsthand hockey experience uh, will answer those questions uh, live on air. Um, so I want to be clear, I'm not trying to be a pain in the butt or a smart aleck. Um, I'm genuinely interested in the story and the perspective from Pierre's point of view, although it probably wasn't his favorite night of um, of coaching, uh, but I'll set it up. Uh, December 4th, 1993, Yammer Yager scores the winning goal in overtime against the Hartford Whalers. The final score was 7-6, to six, and he scored um, right after coming out of the penalty box. And that penalty that he got, um, still years afterwards, seemed like he took it kind of personally. Um, so I'm sure Pierre will remember what I'm talking about, and uh, I'd like to hear what that was like from his perspective. Pierre? What a fantastic question. Thank you, Evan. Uh, totally forthright. Um, I helped draft Yarmir Yager, uh, won the 91 Stanley Cup with Yarmir and all the Pittsburgh Penguins guys, and it was a phenomenal experience and had a chance to work with him a lot during that playoff run. Then in 92, I was on the ice and worked with him a significant amount along with Rick Kehoe, and uh, that was an amazingly um, great time. One of the things I knew about Yarmir was he used illegal curves. Um, just the reality. So that night that you're alluding to, I remember a clear as day, Evan, and uh, I didn't even have to check. I knew he had an illegal stick on the ice just before overtime, and we had made an unbelievably character-type comeback, and I was so proud of our players, and I wanted to give them every opportunity to win. So I called for a stick check on Yarmir Yager with, I think, three seconds to go in the period. There was a face-off by our bench, and I – I, told, I think it was Patty Verbeek. I said, Patty, go tell the referee we're measuring Yager's stick. They don't do that anymore, by the way. I think that may have been one of the rules that helped change the measurement. But anyway, so um, we met. The referee looked at me and said, you know, measure it. And Yarmer knew I had him caught. He tried to break the stick, but he got caught and he knew it. Um, and he went in the penalty box. He had a stick. Larry Murphy with his vintage flip pass after they killed the penalty off. Uh Chipped it out in the neutral zone. Yarmir went in on a breakaway all alone. And did he ever give it to me when he went by our bench? Oh, boy. And you know what? He did. He, hey, listen, they won. We lost. I tried to make a calculated play to give our guys an opportunity to win. I thought it would have been a tremendous thing for our group. Um, they didn't have shootouts back then. And so, you know, we had we gave it everything we had. We made this valiant comeback. We tied it up, I think, 6-6 six, six or 5-5 five, five, or forget but uh, I was really proud of our team. And like I said, I tried to give him every opportunity to win, and Yarmir, he let me have it. It was pretty funny. I look back at it now. I know Eddie Johnston, who's a real good friend of mine. Um, yeah, Eddie. Eddie was coaching Pittsburgh then, and he gave it to me too. Uh, I, I, you know, doing your job? No, no, but it's okay. Like, like I see you all Jimmy, I've told you this a million times. Yeah. In pro hockey, if you take stuff personally – you're not going to last very long. Exactly. You've got to understand. It's a competitive, uh, emotional type place, and you just can't take stuff personal. And I did yep. not. 
I was kind of mad that he scored. I'm not going to lie, but that's what happened. Evan, that's a great question. I don't know how you got that, but that's a good one, Evan, because that's exactly what happened. But I didn't even have to. I knew right away. Like I said, I told our guys, I said, be ready. We're going to be on the power play to start overtime. And they're like, what? I said, yeah, just be ready. And uh, that's what happened. And his number is uh, it's going up to the rafters very soon, right? Was that on Sunday? Uh, he get yes, it's going up this Sunday in Pittsburgh. Uh, I think LA's there, if I remember correctly. Just yes, off the yep. top of my they're head. The end of a back there in Boston on Saturday, Pittsburgh they're on Sunday. Pittsburgh on Sunday, and that's when they're going to do Yarmer's number. Um, I couldn't be more pleased for him. You know, I, I you get to know a person and you get to see how hard they work, and you're with them, you know, an entire season or two seasons in this case with Yarmer, and you coach against them as well. Uh, I have so much respect for him as a player, um, as a person. He 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 did a lot for people, and he never talked about it. But he said something the other day that I thought was pretty cool. He said, uh, I must have been tough to handle when I was young. That's yeah. what he said in an interview. He says, and to all those coaches that I gave a hard time to, I'm really sorry because now I kind of know what I was like when I was younger. I think it takes a lot for somebody to say that, and uh, it doesn't surprise me that he would say that. I thought he was – an amazingly gifted player, but I also thought he was an amazing trendsetter and a kid that had a lot of guts. He had a lot of guts. Boy, he was a tough guy. He was a tough yeah. guy and a really good player. Well, I see there's uh, some questions about – and we're not going to say that you compared him to Jager, but you did say there are some similar attributes yesterday, and I see a couple questions about Yuri Slavkovsky. If we can go to those, I don't know if you guys can find them there. I saw a few there. Uh, and, by the way, Habs – in MSG tonight, I yep. believe uh, Slavkovsky is uh, been making people a lot of money in the gambling world, Pierre, with these goal props they have and point props. He is finding his game really, and not just not just offensively. He he's yeah. finding his two way game. He's find he, he's starting to really understand what he needs to do in the North American game and how to succeed in the NHL. And from afar, I'm not there in Montreal covering them, but I mean, I'm talking to people that are, and like, this kid is fun to cover. He's got a heck of a personality. Yeah. So I'll just give you an example. Here's the difference. When he was playing in Finland during the COVID year, um, he was playing as a third line player, and his coach maybe played him eight to 11 minutes a game. And he hardly, I don't even know if he ever got any power play time, but when I was there, he never played on the power play when he was in Peru. So here's the difference. Yarmir Yager is at that same age before his draft year. He's playing in the World Junior with Bobby Holik and Robert Reichel. I mean, come on. So you talk about being prepared and developed and ready to play in the NHL. And so Yarmir was just spectacularly well prepared. Mm -hmm. The only problem for Yarmir, and I've said this story in a lot of different uh, situations, he had a hard time understanding English at the beginning, especially – um, coaching vernacular. And so one of the smartest moves I've ever seen was made by Craig Patrick. It was a brilliant managerial maneuver. Um, he went out and got Yuri Herdina from the Calgary Flames, who had been part of their 89 Stanley Cup. Oh, yeah. And Yuri came in as an older player. And part of why he came in in the 90 fall uh, season was to help Yarmir understand that he wasn't always going to be on the power play. And he was always going to be on the first line. And all this stuff kind of happened before we got Ronnie Francis and, and before we got Alfie Samuelson. Uh, Brian Trotsky was an amazing uh, resource for Yarmer. But I'm just telling you, so 
there's so many things that happen to help Yarmir, but um, I thought the one thing that was really important for him was the development that he had before he got to the NHL. Safkowski didn't have anything like that. Right. Nothing like that. You know, was he great at the Olympics? Hey, he played in the Olympics. It was a non-NHL Olympics in Beijing. He was the MVP of the Olympics. But I'm just telling you that this guy's going to be something special. I'm not saying he's going to be Yarmir Yager because I don't think he will be. But I think there's a lot of characteristics in this game that are similar. All right, next question. If you are the Ducks GM, Pat Verbeek, who is the first player you would ask for in return for Zegers? It depends on the team, obviously, that yeah. you're going to deal with. But I would want a live wire up front. Um, I'd want somebody that could score and probably play with some physicality. I, I think they're set up on defense for a long time in Anaheim. You know, Pat's done a nice job with his scouts drafting. Uh, mm -hmm. Zeller was just up playing. I know they sent him back before they went on this road trip. They have enough defense that they could afford to trade Drysdale. Don't forget they're getting Cutter Goche there. Um, as soon as the Boston College season is over, and he will play in the NHL right away. There's no question in my mind. And he'll be an impact player in the NHL for a lot of years to come, barring injury. So Pat's done some really good work there. Um, but I I think they need an ex explosive, bigger body offensively. If they can do that, I, I you know, for Zegers, that would be great. I, I don't know where all the Zegers rumors came from. Oh, oh he's Montreal. Montreal. I don't know mm. if there's. I because they don't need I don't the see a fit. I don't. I just. I've said this from the beginning. I don't see a fit there. Yeah. No, if I they don't. needed defensemen, Pierre, there would be a great fit. But, yeah, but they don't need D. Yeah. yeah. I, you know, and Trevor, Trevor's not a big guy. He's just. You know, Montreal needs bigger guys. And yeah. So I, I just. I've never felt there was a great fit there. Yeah. So. It, 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 look, I, I get it too. And I understand it. And it's one of the things I love about the Montreal culture and the Canadians culture is that the the history of the flying Frenchman and the, the finesse and all that, Pierre, is still instilled in a lot of Canadians fans. And it's part of that culture. And, you know, they haven't had a guy like that in a while. But you go back to maybe Kovalev. But I think they see maybe a lot of that in Zegers. But the problem is I just don't see the fit overall. Like – he doesn't fit to me with what Kent Hughes and Jeff Gordon are trying to do. Um, I, I, I agree with you. You yeah. know, he would. You know, he'd be a really good fit, and I just don't think they would do it. But I think he'd be a great fit for the New York Rangers. Yes, yes, I, I, I do. I, 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 I do. Yep. I think. I think he'd be a good fit for the New Jersey Devils. Mm -hmm. I, do. I really do. Um, there's certain teams where I think he really fits. Yeah. Um, I just don't know about in Montreal. Just again, just the trade. The machination yep. to the trade. I just don't know if there's a fit there. All right, let's go to the next question. Randy Workman, I'm going to ask, do you guys believe that Mark's, Markstrom will be traded? Randy, is I I haven't changed it yet. I still think this is an off-season deal. I do think he does get traded, but I, I just don't know if it – we already saw the reports that happened with the Devils. Supposedly they had something ready to go, and there was a retention issue there, um, and things fell apart. It's a very, from what it looks like from the outside, Pierre, and I think you'd agree, it looks like it, it would be a very difficult trade in terms of all the parameters to construct heading into a deadline as opposed to maybe at the draft. I could see, think of one team that probably is looking at it now and saying maybe we can, but I just don't know if Calgary would trade them, and that would be to Colorado. 
Yeah. I, you know, I know they were, we both know they were tight or close with the Devils. We understand that. Um, but Colorado, they really fancy themselves a legitimate contender for the Cup. I don't know if they can do it with the goaltending they have now. Mm -hmm. uh, that would be interesting because I do think there's some fits with Colorado's team to Calgary's team for Calgary's needs because is Tanev going to stay in Calgary? We don't know. Is Hanif going to stay in Calgary? We don't know. So if that those two guys are dispatched, chances are they're going to need some defense. And so you just you look at it long term. Um, Colorado's got lots of different things that they could, I think, trade to maybe up, up, upgrade, let's say, their goaltending. And by the way, I saw somebody, I forgot who it was, over there in the comment section talking about potentially Jake Allen to Colorado. Uh, Darren Drager tweeting a couple hours ago that that's nowhere close to happening. Yeah, the teams haven't spoken in a few weeks, according to him. So uh, that's I don't see that being, I don't see that being their target, but it's a good, fair question. I just don't see Jake being the target there. All right, let's go. Uh, we got time for about three more. Let's do it. Yeah, Alex Abanowski, what's the plan in Columbus? They got amazing prospects, and I feel like they are close to breaking through. Am I right to feel this way? Maybe one more high draft pick and a trade deadline sell-off might be it. So here, I don't know what the plan is, but I just like to connect the dots. When I heard that Rick Nash was going to be part of the selection committee or his voice was going to be involved in the selection committee, right away I thought of, okay, connections to Rick Nash, London Knights, Mark Hunter. Does Mark Hunter have an opportunity to be the general manager in Columbus? I bet he's one of the candidates. Yep. I'll bet he is. I'll bet he is. And Columbus, by the way, Columbus is flying right now to San Jose. They're refueling in Kansas. I can tell you that right now. They are. That's where they're refueling. So I've been in <laughs> some texting me during the show. So, anyway, um, so that's what's going on there. And, and I would say that that's just one candidate I, I can think of. If they really want to play it straight, um, Ray Sherrill's got to be a candidate. He ha the fact that there are other teams that have looked past him, I think, is beyond belief bizarre. He's got to yeah. be a little Tommy, Tommy Fitzgerald would be the first person to tell you. He's the general manager of the New Jersey Devils. That team was built by Ray Sherrill. He'd be the first person to tell you that. He, he said it on our show. He already so yeah. it's just, you know, again, I'm not trying to be mean, but so whatever happened in New Jersey, that should be pushed aside with ownership and Ray or whatever. He, he should be a legitimate candidate there. And I, and I have to believe he would be too. So there's two, and I, I would say um, there's one more, but I'm just not comfortable saying his name right now because he's involved with another team and I don't mm -hmm. want to get, and I don't want to get him in trouble, but I, I think there are three legit Big time candidates um, that would pass muster with the ticket holders and the fans, the great fans in Columbus. And, and they, the they're, they're great fans. They're great fans. They do an amazing job there. Great yep. fans. Yep. All right. Next question. Jeffrey B, do you feel Winnipeg might mortgage a piece of their future by moving one of Lambert, Barlow, no. McGrady, with Shifley no. and Halifax smack in the middle of their prime? No. So I. I talked to somebody the other day um, who's on the agent side, and I said, the only way I would have done that Sean Monaghan deal if I could have got record McGrady. And he said, Pierre, that Winnipeg wasn't trading him. Yeah. And I'm like, okay, 
then I would ask for Lambert. You know what I mean? <laughs> I would. I'm just telling. And and he said to me, "Well, they're not trading him either." So yeah. I, I just don't think. I think they know they're in a real good spot. I think they know they're maybe a year away from winning. They're not mm -hmm. only ready to win the cup yet, but they got some good. You know, Johnny Lou was right, Jimmy. They got some good prospects. Like I think Lambert's going to be real good. I think McGrory's going to be a different kind of good, but he's going to be a really important player for them. Good stuff. All right, final question here. Well, if you got a lot more, Jimmy, we can do a few more. I know you got a game, but we got. Time. Yeah, we'll we do. All right, we'll do. We'll do three more. We'll yeah, do yeah. it. I get time. Yeah. Five, five, five thirty-four train. I'm five minute walk. I'm good. Yeah, you're good. <laughs> or you run down. You're in shape now. Come on. Sure. <laughs> Pierre, I, I, that's, we got to talk about that off air. I got to get on your regimen. You got to help me out. <laughs> we'll talk about that later. All right. All right. Fishing asks, hello, gentlemen. What's the reason for the Arizona implosion? Well, I would just immediately point to the implosion around them with the whole ownership thing and the, and the you know, arena thing. That, that's weighing on the players, I would think. They don't know where their home's going to be. They don't know what, what's going on. There's stories flying everywhere. I, I think that's really taking its toll on the players. And people don't look past them anymore, especially teams that are playing for playoff position because yeah. they know they're for real. They know that Arizona is a much improved team. And so when they go in there now, like I watched the Minnesota game last night, <laughs> Minnesota played to, play to keep. You know, yep. they knew they needed those points. So now they've won four games in a row, I think, coming out of the All-Star break. And now they're relevant. They're actually in the playoff discussion. So I think it's a combination of things. But one of the things is nobody's looking past them. And mm -hmm. I think – Need to be aware of that. Yep. All right. Let's uh, go to another question. Could you see Savard fit in Edmonton? Yes. That's a great call. That's a really good call. That would be a place where I definitely could. I think Tampa, obviously, I think it was brought up yesterday, Jimmy, yep. by one of our questioners. Um, but yes, Edmonton would be a 100%. Uh, it's a great yes. Yes. Yep. All right. Next question. Alex Evanoski, obviously there's a lot of comparison between what Stevie did in Detroit and Tampa. I see the cider headman stamp, stamp goes lock in, but who's Detroit's Kucherov going forward? Raymond, Carter M? Well, the Carter M that he's talking about is Carter Mazur, who's a kid out of the University of Denver. He actually played for Chris Draper, uh, and that's why Detroit knew him. So while Carter oh, wow. was a player, he played for the Little Caesars uh, with Draper's son, Keenan. Um, so he knows Carter Mays are really well. Carter's had a nice year uh, in the American Hockey League in Grand Rapids. He's a good player. I wouldn't say he's a Kucherov. I, no, I would not. I would say more like Raymond is. And, you know, again, I think that might have been one of Chris's first picks um, as a chief scout for Detroit, and it was a really good pick. Yep. So. Yeah, I'd say Raymond's more of the Kucherov style. Carter Mazur's a very good player, though. He's a he's a pro player, Jimmy. You know, he's yep. part of Denver's national championship team. He's a good player, um, good kid, really solid hockey family, good people, really good people. Stuff. All right, we'll do one more, one more. Of course. Yeah, Jeffrey B., what should Pittsburgh do about their power play? They struggle uh, to gain the line, and they give up chances shorthanded. Taking away any momentum they might have built at even strength. Well, you know what, Jeffrey? They're going to have plenty of time to figure it out because they are not going to the Stanley Cup playoffs. That's okay. Jim, Jimmy said that. I'm not prepared to go there yet, but I'm getting closer. Um, they're 30th in the league in the power play, Jimmy. Like, every day I, I study it in the morning. Yeah. And I'm like, 
Are they ever going to get the top 25? Like, what the heck happened here? Um, and so Pittsburgh's power play, they broke it up. They've moved guys around. Latang and Carlson don't play together. Malkin's on a different power play than Crosby. Um, I still think they should try to run it the way Washington ran that power play with Nicky Backstrom. I really mm-hmm. do. Run everything Crosby. Run everything yep. Sydney. Um, and let just Sid control everything. Don't run it from up high. I know Latang wants to run it. I know Carlson wants to run it. Let Sydney run it, and then we'll see how it goes. But it's mind-boggling that that power play is not good. It's, it's crazy. It's just crazy. When you look at the assets, it's crazy. Yeah. I forget when it was in a game last night there, though. There was one when they got a power play pair. They were, they were only down by, like, a goal at the time. And, yeah, it just – you could just see how deflated they were after. And then and then Florida just poured it on after. I mean, that, so, that game, Pierre, that we talked about a couple of days ago, body language – the body language on the Pittsburgh yes. Penguins is scary. It's not scary, not good, is what I'm talking you know, about. You know what's amazing, Jimmy? You and I talk a lot about goal differential and how it's an important statistic. Mm-hmm. The only team chasing right now, relatively having a chance to make the playoffs in the Eastern Conference, are the Pittsburgh Penguins. Um, I think they're plus 10 now, if I remember correctly. Correct. Goal differential. So, Jimmy, they're the only plus team chasing right now. You see what Paul Maurice said after the game last night? He yep. goes, everything we've talked about. Yep. The differential, Pittsburgh's tight. They're close. They're, they're going to be realistic if they can keep that goal differential positive. He's right, but it's starting to drop. It's starting mm-hmm. to drop almost every week. And so when you see that, if you're coaching, you kind of know this is a problem. we got to get back to manufacturing more goals and giving up less goals. Yeah. And, and a thing too, Pierre, that, that another thing that's got to be frustrating for them overall, and especially for him, is Tristan Derry has not been that bad this year. He's had, a, in my opinion, a solid year. I don't think he's, he's had the most shutouts of any goalie in the league. Yeah. I, I mean, mean it, it's so ironic. That they still are where they are. I just, I don't, I they're so hard to figure out. They may be the most frustrating team to figure out in the NHL. They could be. They're, just, they're, they're in the it, discussion. 100% yeah. they're in the discussion. Yeah, it's too bad. Well, we'll see what happens. All right. We want to thank John Liu from TSN for joining yeah. us. Man, he was great. He was great. What great insight into that team we got today for all you Jets fans out there. Um, tell your other Jets fans' friends to check it out and give us a like button. Hit the subscribe button there. Uh, and thank everyone in the comments section and questions section. And thank our production crew back in Montreal. And Pierre, tomorrow we will have another great on-campus Friday. Yes, we will. Brett Riley, the young head coach at Long Island University, will be joining us from Fairbanks, Alaska. So we're actually doing the show at a different time tomorrow, right, Jimmy? I was going to just say, yeah, programming note, we will be at 1 p.m. Eastern instead of 4 p.m. tomorrow. So 1 to 2 Eastern will be live. Of course, you can watch it anytime. It will be available on YouTube, all your podcasting platforms after that. But if you want to tune in and ask us questions tomorrow – uh, grab your lunch, kick back, and uh, we'll have we'll have a hockey lunch. Jimmy, are we allowed to announce maybe the potential for a live remote for the show, or is it still uh, too early? Let's let's wait till Monday. Let's okay. let's yeah yeah I you know because just in case. <laughs> but we're very excited. There could be something coming uh, that we're very excited very about. Excited about so yeah, yeah. Thank you and really to it. And I think uh, since we have, it has to do with a city that that checks in here a lot. 
yeah. to watch us. So, um, all right. Well, that's it. Another edition of the eye test here in the sick podcast network. He's Pierre McGuire. I'm Jimmy Murphy. We will talk to you tomorrow on on campus Friday here on the eye test. And that's a wrap. Hope you don't miss us too much until next time. Follow the eye test with Pierre McGuire and Jimmy Murphy on YouTube, Facebook, Google play and Apple podcasts. 